0: first Baptist Melbourne podcast making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God if I can't see God how do I know for sure he's involved in my life I don't know what the future has in store for me how will our needs be met I'm not from here. Will I ever fit in? Will I ever belong? I want to have hope. Who can I hope in? Will a redeemer ever come for me? If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ruth. It is so good to be back with you this week after being away on vacation last week. Although, uh, I'm really not sure that you could call what Megan and I did vacation. Uh, We decided to uh, take our four boys who are nine years old and under, including a one-year-old baby, camping in a tent in Georgia for almost a week. And some people tried to uh, dissuade us from doing that, but we pressed on anyway. And I feel we should earn some kind type of a parental gold star or something for, uh, for surviving that and, and making it back. Uh, when I got back, someone asked us if we were planning to go camping again next year. I uh, said so we have penciled that in for the year 2025. When our kids are much, much older. It was a special time to, uh, to spend with them before school starts back this week. So thankful for Pastor Blaine as well for preaching for us uh, last week and bringing such a great word to us. And, and I'm excited about today to be able to begin this four-week journey of the book of Ruth, one of my favorite books in all the Bible. Uh, I've called this series on Ruth, A Story of Redemption. Uh, And this is a story of redemption and God's redeeming grace in our lives. Uh, But as we're going to see today, chapter one of this story uh, doesn't start out so well. In this chapter, we're going to read about a a famine. Uh, We're going to read about three different funerals that happen in the same family. And we're going to hear about some bitterness and some anger that is welling up and overflowing. We're going to read about someone who was angry that her life was not turning out the way that she expected. Someone who actually thought that God was out to get her. And what we're going to talk about today really hits home for every single one of us. What do we do when life gets hard? And let's read how this story Begins Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter together. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Maulon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived, her two sons and her husband. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters in law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters in law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead. And with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say that I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, And should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you today for the goodness and the power of your word. Father, I pray today that you would use your word to reach into the corners of our hearts. Maybe into places of our hearts that we have long covered over. Father, you would bring healing. That You would bring peace. And you would bring joy and hope. Father, would you be so kind, would you be so gracious to speak to every one of us. In this hour, we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, What we find out in the first verse of this book is that the story of Ruth takes place during one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. Verse 1 starts out like this, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. If you look in your uh, Bibles, you will notice that the book that immediately precedes the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. And if you've Uh, ever read through the book of Judges before, you know that that was not a happy time in the life of God's people, to say the least. These were the years in Israel's history between the death of the great leader Joshua, who had led them into the promised land, and the coronation of the first king of Israel, King Saul, and during this period of time, and in the time of the judges, the people of God were trapped in a vicious cycle. Uh, They would just continually sin against the Lord, and because of their sin, the Lord would uh, allow them to be defeated and oppressed by one of their neighboring countries, one of their enemies. Finally, they would cry out to the Lord and they would repent and turn to him and he would hear their prayer and he would send them a hero one of the judges people like Gideon and Samson and Deborah and the people would be free for a little while because of what God did through these judges but then after they experienced that freedom for a little bit they would sin again and the cycle would repeat itself over and over again really the very last verse of the book of Judges sums up this period of Israel's history uh, like nothing else. Look at Judges 21-25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And while everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, the morality of the nation got worse and worse. Sadly, that description sounds an awful lot like what's happening in our country today. While the book of Judges and Ruth happens at the same time, these two books are, are very different. The book of Judges is looking at what's happening in the nation of Israel as a whole and the moral decline that is taking place there. But the book of Ruth focuses in on one family in one town and the story of God's redeeming grace that he wanted to write through this one family. The man's name was Elimelech, and the town where he lived was Bethlehem, the same town where King David would be born, the same town where one night, because there was no room for them in the inn, a woman named Mary gave birth to the Son of God and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger." But this man from Bethlehem, Elimelech, had a problem. Verse 1 says that there was a famine in the land. Now it's ironic that there is a famine in this town called Bethlehem because the name Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. And yet in the house of bread, there was no bread for Elimelech or for anyone else. Uh, As far as problems go, uh, I know that the idea of a famine seems kind of removed uh, from us. I don't think that many of us lost much sleep last night worrying about the rainfall on the crops in Iowa because we can always go to Publix. We figure that they'll get food from somewhere to stock their shelves, but in this society, in an agrarian society where they depended on the rain, where they depended on the harvest seasons in order to survive, a famine was the worst thing that could possibly happen. This was an economic crisis. This would be like saying for us that there was a stock market crash, or here locally that Uh, There is a a layoff at Harris or at Northrop, and thousands of people are out of their jobs. There was a famine in the land. Life was getting hard for Elimelech and for his family. And you know what? At some point or another, life is going to get hard for each of us. It it might be a layoff. It might be something financial in nature. Maybe it's a a relationship that uh, goes south. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis, something physical that we're dealing with. Maybe it's something personal, something that's in our family, or something with one of our children. But for all of us, there will be times when life is hard. And and maybe you're going through one of those times right now, or maybe the Lord knows that very soon you will be. And the question that I want us to be thinking about this morning is this. What do you do when life gets hard? Where do you go? How do you handle it? What purpose can you find in all of it? And one thing I've seen is that almost for every person that you meet, there's a different way that they respond to hard times. And in this chapter alone, there are three different choices that I see here. Choices that people make about what to do when life gets hard. First off, like Elimelech, You can just run away to someplace else. That's one reaction that people have when life gets hard. They run away. That's what Elimelech does. Again, there was a famine in the land, and it says at the end of verse 2, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So two times in those two verses, the narrator tells us where Elimelech decided to lead his family. He took them to Moab, which was a neighboring nation on the east side of the Dead Sea. And maybe we hear that and our first response is, well, what's the big deal with that? I mean, after all, there was a famine in in Bethlehem. There was nothing for him to eat. This man had to provide for his family. And so he, he went somewhere where he thought that he could do that. But before we conclude that, we need to stop and look a little more closely. First off, there's some question as to whether this man and his family really needed to leave Bethlehem in order to make it at all. At the end of chapter 1, you notice that when Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem, there are people there in Bethlehem who remember Naomi, who remember her leaving. Presumably, they didn't leave Bethlehem, and they came through the famine just fine. So they probably didn't even have to leave. But even if they had to leave, of all places, why would this man choose to take his family to Moab? The Moabites were the sworn enemies of God's people. It was Balak, the king of Moab, who had earlier hired Balaam to curse the people of God. Earlier in the period of the Judges, the Moabites had ruled over Israel for 18 years. That This was a people who worshipped a false god named Chemosh, and they would literally sacrifice their own children as a part of their worship to this false god. And so again, of all places, why would this man choose to take his family there? And clearly he thought that the grass would be greener there, but as one person said, the grass is always greener right on top of the septic tank. (laughs) It may have seemed to Elimelech the logical thing to do. It may have seemed that it was the easiest place to go to find food. It might have seemed that it was the rational decision to make, but it clearly was not a decision that was driven by faith. And as we will see, the Lord does not bless it. We said that in the period of the judges, that there was no king in Israel, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And even though Elimelech's name means, my God is king, as one person said, it is clear that God was not the king in Elimelech's heart. And like many of his countrymen, many of his contemporaries, he was just doing what was right in his own eyes. And I'm afraid that today there are many Christians who make decisions the same way that Elimelech did. We do whatever makes sense to us. Whatever seems right in our own eyes. We go wherever we think our prospects are best. We go wherever we think we're going to make the most money. Wherever we think we're going to have the most success. But if we do that, church, we're not making decisions any differently than people who don't claim to know God. And how can we, who are followers of Christ, make life-altering decisions without talking to God about it? without listening to what he says in his word to us about it, without seeking godly counsel before we make that decision. If you're a child of God, you're not the king of your own life anymore. You have bowed your knee to a different king. And so we should go when he says go, and we should stay when he says stay, because our life belongs to him. Let's see what became of Elimelech's decision to go to Moab. Verse 3 says that after this family of four made it to Moab, that Elimelech died. And so now Naomi, Elimelech's wife, becomes the central character. She's been through a famine, and now she is a widow, but at least she still has her two sons. And in verse 4, we see a glimmer of hope, these two Uh, Sons take wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about. Ten years. Now, albeit they get married to Moabite women, a morally questionable decision, but uh, presumably Naomi still had a glimmer of hope. She thought, well, maybe I'll at least have grandchildren. Maybe I'll be taken care of in my old age. But that hope would not last for long because in verse 5 we read this. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her Husband, So here is this poor woman, Naomi, who has outlived both her husband and both of her sons, and here she is all alone with two daughters-in-law in a foreign country. Now to be clear, Scripture does not explicitly say that Elimelech... Uh, and Naomi's two sons died due to the judgment of God, and so we must not presume that. But what we do know is that the decision to run to Moab was not from God, that it was not motivated by faith in God, and that those who chose to stay in Bethlehem and trust in God fared much better than this family did. And maybe you have been like Elimelech, Maybe a problem came up in your life but as you look back on it now you know that you tried to fix it the only way you knew how at the time by running to someplace else maybe to some other relationship maybe to some other job maybe you thought a change of scenery would do the trick but in the end what you found in that new place and in that new situation was just a new batch of problems, because like Jonah, what we find out when we try to run is that you can't run away from your problem when your problem is inside of you. And for all of us, no matter what is going on externally in the circumstances of our lives, that is actually where our biggest problem resides. Friend, at some point we have to stop running and we have to start kneeling. We have to cry out to God because only He can fix what is wrong inside of each of us. But many people and many believers even try to handle their problems like Elimelech did. When, when trouble comes, they just pick up and run to someplace else. When a marriage gets too difficult, they figure that moving on will just make things better. When death unexpectedly strikes, instead of running to God, sometimes we are guilty of running away from God to something else. But friend, remember that whenever you run from God, you are always running to something worse. Because there is no one more loving There is no one more kind. There is no one more faithful. There is no one stronger. There is no one who can help you more. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And so when life gets hard, church, let's not run from God. Let's run to God. But Elimelech shows us one choice that people sometimes make when life gets hard. They run. And at some point or another, we've probably all done that. But Elimelech's wife, Naomi, shows us another choice that you can make. Instead of running, you can get bitter and angry. And on one level, we can understand why Naomi was bitter and angry. It's not easy to lose your spouse, as many in this room know firsthand. And it's not easy to lose your children. And there are some in this room who sadly also know what that pain is like firsthand. But to lose them all, to lose your husband and all your children would be unimaginable. Of course, things like that still happen today. I read about a woman named Tia Coleman who lost her husband, all three of her children, And five other family members just a few weeks ago when their duck boat capsized in Missouri. Maybe you saw that story as well. And it's just heartbreaking. And I'm sure if you saw that story, you prayed for her that God would give her strength. And you tried to put yourself in her shoes. And you just wonder how hard that must be to go on when all of your family is basically lost in one moment. But Naomi experienced something like that. And Naomi lived in a culture where, for a woman, there weren't many career opportunities. Without a husband and without children to care for her at an older age when she was unlikely to get married again, Naomi was in the worst possible situation that an Israelite woman could be in. And there's no question that as you listen to her words, her bitterness and her anger come out in almost everything that she says. You hear it as she pleads with her two daughters-in-law to go back to Moab. And we'll come back to this portion of the chapter in a few minutes. But just look at the end of verse 13. She says, For it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That language was used in the Old Testament to describe the way that the Lord would fight for his people. Sometimes you'll read that that the hand of the Lord went out against the Philistines or against one of the other enemies of God's people. But Naomi's taking that language and she's applying it to herself. She's saying the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. He's treating me like his enemy. He's out to get me. That language shows up again when Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem and she begins to talk with the women of the town there. Look in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited Literally in a in a hubbub because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? Could could this be the same Naomi that left more than 10 years ago and now has finally come home? They're so excited to to see her, but their excitement is not matched by any excitement on the part of Naomi. Look at what she says. She said to them, Don't call me Naomi. That the name Naomi meant to be pleasant, to be sweet. She said, don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, don't call me sweet, because my life hasn't been sweet. My my life hasn't matched that name. She said, instead, instead I want you to call me Mara, a word that means bitterness. For the Almighty, the El Shaddai, the all-powerful God has dealt very bitterly with me. Sometimes you'll see in Scripture where God will change someone's name. Here is a case where this woman wants to change her own name. She says, you need to call me bitter because God has given me a bitter cup to drink in life. He's basically made a mess out of my life. I don't want to be too hard on Naomi for being honest about how she felt, and I will say this for Naomi. Positively, Naomi recognized God. Throughout this story, if you notice, Naomi does not attribute anything to chance. She knows and recognizes something that we should all know and recognize, and that is that God is sovereign over all things that nothing passes go unless it passes God, that he is seated on the throne of the universe, that he is in charge. One of my favorite verses on the sovereignty of God is found on the lips of a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. And after God humbled him, this is what Nebuchadnezzar said about God. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And Naomi understood that truth very well. She doesn't think that her life is a victim of the fates. She doesn't think that everything is up to blind chance. She believes that her life is in the hand of God. And so one thing that we need to hear, even through the pain and through the bitterness of the words that Naomi is speaking, is that underneath all of that is a rock-solid faith in the sovereign hand of God. And that is a faith that we need to have as well. And so positively, Naomi recognized God. But negatively, and you also hear this, Naomi resented God. And you hear that resentment and that bitterness, again, in virtually everything that Naomi says in this opening chapter. Now, again, Naomi, to be fair, she does not know the end of the story, does she? If you've read the book of Ruth, you know what God was planning to do. But Naomi doesn't. All she can see is what God has taken away from her. And that bitterness colors the way that she sees everything. And so she says in verse 21, I went out full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me? The Almighty has afflicted me. She says that that he's put me in a courtroom, he's put me on trial, and he's testified against me. And who am I to say anything back to God? She uses this language of fullness and emptiness. She says, I went out full and I came back empty. Now what she's referring to is she went out with a husband and two sons and she came back without any of them. But in one manner of speaking, you could almost say the opposite, couldn't you? She went out in the middle of a famine. She went out empty and the Lord has preserved her and has brought her back at the beginning of a harvest and has brought her back full. But right now, because of what she's focusing on, because of what she sees, All she sees is what God has taken away. Naomi's bitterness has made her blind to the evidences of the goodness of God in her life. And aren't we all like that sometimes? We are so quick to forget all that God has done for us and we focus on all the things that aren't the way we would want them to be if we were God. But we're not God. And aren't you glad that we're not? The Bible says no good thing will he withhold from the one who walks uprightly. As one person put it, when God empties out our hands of something, it's only because he wants to put something better in its place. Think about everything that Naomi would have missed out on if she had got her way. And had been able to stay in Moab for the rest of her life like she wanted. Friend, God wants us to be honest with him about our pain, about what we're feeling in our hearts. Naomi was honest with God. The psalmist was honest with God. If you read through the book of Psalms, you see this language of just pouring out your heart to the Lord. He wants us to do that. But but church, we also need to be careful about a root of bitterness taking place in our hearts. It can put you in a prison of your own devising. Whether that bitterness is a bitterness towards someone else, or whether it's a bitterness towards God, it can hem you in, and maybe that's where you've been spiritually. Maybe you haven't been growing the last few years spiritually because you've hemmed yourself in with angry thoughts about God, angry thoughts about how your life has not panned out the way that you wanted it to, and those thoughts flood your mind every time you open the Word of God, every time you try to go to God in prayer, and because of that, you're just not progressing because of that you're just spiritually stuck and i want you to hear this morning that if you are the child of god god is not your enemy he is your father and he isn't out to get you he is out to love you and to make you more like jesus christ Yes, sometimes He lets bad things happen for reasons that we don't understand and may never understand this side of heaven, but He hasn't wronged you, brother. He hasn't wronged you, sister, because God always does everything right. Are you willing, Christian, to take all of your whys of the things that you don't understand and to trust them to a God who loves you? Are you willing to trust that like he did in the story of Ruth, our God can and does bring triumph out of tragedy? And so far we've seen a couple of ways not to respond when life gets hard. We shouldn't run away. We shouldn't get bitter or angry. But there's another character in this first chapter. It's it's the character that this book is named after. A young Moabite woman named Ruth, and she shows us another choice. When life gets hard, church, you can turn to God and you can hope in Him. I want us to backtrack a bit and pick up in verse 6. This is right after Naomi's husband and her two sons have died. And now she and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, have to decide what to do next. Look at verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. (coughs) For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices, and they wept. So somewhere along the road from Moab to Bethlehem, Naomi decides that it probably is not best for her two daughters-in-law to go with her. She believes that it's better for them to turn around and to go back to Moab. While she may be well-intentioned in that, this was probably Not the right choice, but she three times tries to persuade them to go back to the land of Moab. The first time is there in verses 8 and 9, and there she essentially blesses these two daughters-in-law. She prays for them. She prays that the Lord would deal kindly with them. That's the Hebrew word kesed. It's an important word in the Bible. A word that refers to the covenant, faithful love of God for his people. And she says, in the same way that you have shown this kind of love to me, the same way you've shown this kind of love to your two deceased husbands, I'm praying that the Lord would show that kind of love to you. And she prays for them that that they would uh, be able to meet someone else, that they'd be able to marry again, that they'd be able to enter into a stable life in the home of a new husband. And she kisses them, and she intended that to be a goodbye kiss. This was an emotional scene as all of these women were there weeping together on the road. But in verse 10, the daughters-in-law basically say, no, we're not going back. We're going to go with you. And so in verse 11, Naomi tries for a second time to persuade them to go. And this time she dispenses with the flowery language and she tries to reason with them using some cold, hard facts. Basically, what she says to them is, humanly speaking, it's going to be better for you to stay. She says, listen, I'm too old to get married again. And and even if I did get married again, even if I got married tonight, even if I had children tonight and that's not going to happen, even if I had a son, even if I had two sons, are you going to wait for the next 20 years for them to grow up so that you can marry them? No, you're not. And so she says, it just makes more sense for you to go back home that's where you have the best chances for a stable life and then at the end of verse 13 we've already looked at this but this is her clinching argument she says the hand of the lord has gone out against me i am basically the lord's enemy so what fool would want to go along with someone that god is trying to get and so she uses all of these arguments to try to convince them to stay and her arguments hit their mark with one of the two women Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. That means she had already kissed her and now she kisses her back. This is a kiss of goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Orpah listens to Naomi's counsel and she goes back home. And On one level, we can't blame her because again, the narrator doesn't blame her. What she did, humanly speaking, makes sense. But, But I believe that Orpah... Walking back down that road to Moab is a sad picture. Because as Naomi would say in just a minute, she wasn't just going back to Moab, she was going back to Moab's gods. And she was walking away from a relationship with the one true God. Alexander McLaren said this, Orpah is the first in a sad series of those, not far from the kingdom of God, who needed a little more resolution at the critical moment and for want of it, shut themselves out from the covenant and sank back into a world that they had half renounced. Yes, Orpah may have done the reasonable thing, but as she walks away from Naomi and Ruth, she walks off of the pages of Scripture forever. Maybe they could see Orpah walking down the road back to Moab as Naomi points at her and pleads with Ruth a third time in verse 15. She said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Naomi apparently thought, if nothing else works, I'm going to try a little peer pressure. right? She went back, <laughs> and you should probably do the same. But Ruth would not be so easily persuaded. And then she gives in verses 16 and 17, one of the most beautiful speeches recorded anywhere in the Bible. These are words that very often are used in wedding ceremonies, but people are surprised to find out that these words were not first spoken by a husband to a wife or a wife to a husband. They were spoken by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. But listen to what she says, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. <clears throat> your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She says, You keep telling me to go back. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to go on. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to live where you live. And she knows that when she says that, she's not only committing to Naomi, she's also committing to Naomi's people, the Israelites, and she's also committing to to Naomi's God, the God of Israel. And that's why she says, your people, my people, your God, my God. And then she actually pledges herself to Naomi even past the time of Naomi's death. Naomi's older than Ruth, of course. And she says, listen, even after you die, I'm going to die there. That's where I'm going to be buried. I'm not going back to Moab after you die. This is a lifelong commitment for me. I'm staying where you are. I'm going to die where you die. I'm going to be buried where you are buried. I'm committing to you for a lifetime. And then to seal it all, she takes an oath. And she takes an oath in the name of Yahweh, the Lord do so to me and more also if I don't fulfill this commitment. Apparently, she had already come to put her faith in the God of Israel. We don't know when or how that happened. Maybe she had heard of the mighty works of the Lord. Maybe even despite Naomi's bitter words, at times she could see in Naomi a faith that was stronger than anything that she saw in her own people. And she was attracted to the Lord and she put her faith in him. What's amazing about that is Ruth had experienced loss as well. She had also lost her husband. She had gone 10 years without having a child. And yet, unlike Naomi, her words are filled with hope. And I can only imagine that her words are filled with hope because like Boaz would say in the next chapter, she had taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Her hope was in him. And you know, when you think about it, we all are at some point standing on the road between Moab and Bethlehem. Between the world that we know, the world that we are comfortable with, And the place that God is calling us to. And we all face the same choice as Orpah and Ruth did. Will we go back to the world we know? Or will we go forward with adventurous faith? Maybe you're at that critical decision point of your life right now. Why would you go back to a life without God? When he is calling you forward to a relationship with him. It's not going to be easy, this journey of faith, but it's going to be far more exciting than anything you've ever experienced before. You know, I love the very last verse of this chapter, verse 22, because you can see the literary artistry of the writer of this story. As one person pointed out, that the chapter starts in verse 1 with a famine and a departure. And it ends in verse 22 with a harvest and a return. Look at this verse with me. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter in law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. As one person put it, you can almost see the narrator smiling as he writes those words. What a coincidence! that they came to Bethlehem right at the end of April, right at the time that the barley harvest was beginning. Despite all the tragedy that we've read about in this story, all the tragedy that was going on in this family's life, God still had a plan. And he brought them back at precisely the right moment. And out in those barley fields, as we'll read about in the next few weeks, Ruth is going to meet someone who would redeem her and would end up playing a role in our redemption story as well. And one of the things I love most about this book of Ruth is how clearly it points us forward to the redemption that we all need to find in Jesus Christ. And we're especially going to see that in the next few weeks, but you see that in chapter 1 as well. Remember, one of the things that Naomi said was the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Well, that actually wasn't true in her case. But the hand of the Lord has gone out against someone. The hand of the Lord has gone out against His only begotten Son. And as He hung on the cross and He suffered and died and paid the penalty that our sins deserved, the hand of the Lord went out against Him and the wrath of God was poured on Him. The wrath of God that we deserved. And because of Jesus, because Jesus was willing to leave the glory of heaven and and to say to us what Ruth said to Naomi, I will lodge where you will lodge. I will die where you will die. And there I will be buried. And because Jesus Christ was willing to speak those words for us, now we come to a place where not even death can separate you and I from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is a story of his redeeming grace. Would you bow your heads with me? I can only imagine that in a room of this size, there would be some who would say, you know, you've been talking about what we do when life gets hard. And right now, for me, life is pretty hard. I don't know all the details of that. I don't know everything that you're going through, but God does. But I want to ask you that question we've been asking today. What do we do when life gets hard? What have you been doing up until this point? Have you been running? Have you been running somewhere else to try to fix the problem on your own? Have you maybe grown bitter and angry with the Lord because of the circumstances of your life? I want to plead with you right now to make the choice in your heart that Ruth made, no matter what you're going through right now, to turn to God with real faith and give it all to Him. with the Lord, all is not lost. And with the Lord, there is always hope because with the Lord, there is always redeeming grace. Father, I pray for each of these that right now is calling out to you and crying out to you from their heart. And I pray, Father, you would take away fear, you would take away that bitterness, Father, you would replace it with your heart of grace. Lord, would you help us to walk even through the pains and trials of this life, which sometimes can feel overwhelming to us, would you help us to walk with faith and hope in you? In Jesus' name.